Hey guys, welcome to our Disney market mini series here at the short term show. Make sure you like and subscribe. We're doing a 10 episode deep dive on not only this market, but all of our markets. So definitely check those out, like and subscribe to those the short term show short term rental management show. We got a lot of shows out there for you guys that hopefully uh, you guys are finding helpful. So uh, a couple things that I want to hit before we go into it is if you are looking for current purchase prices or current income numbers, we have those on our website at the shorttermshop.com. So be sure to check that out. Also, if you're looking to just hang out, learn some things from some other short-term rental investors, we've got you. You can join our Facebook group with us and 60,000 of our closest investor friends where we just hang out and talk about short-term rental investing all day. Same title as my book, Short-Term Rental, Long-Term Wealth. Also like and subscribe on YouTube to the Short-Term Shop channel. Also like us on Instagram at the Short-Term Shop. If you guys have any questions, if you're ready to maybe buy a property in one of our 20 markets and learn how to manage it from us for free, you can hit us at agents at the shorttermshop.com or literally any of the other avenues that I gave you right before that. So let's get to it. All right, all right, here we go. Episode seven, contract process. What does it look like for me to get under contract on a house in Orlando? Um, how much is involved there? How long does it take? What do I need to know? How's it going to go down? So um, you guys are the experts on that. Uh, Wade, Holly, and Jessica, all fantastic uh, real estate agents. We also have a licensed home inspector on the call, which we will get to when we get to the inspection part of today's program. And of course, I'm Luke, Director of Education for the Short-Term Shop. So uh, let's start with uh, negotiating. <laughs> <laughs> uh, negotiating in general, I guess. Uh, that's always a lot of fun. Uh, what do you do when you get a, Wade, what do you do when you get a client that wants to offer $250,000 under asking? Um, so <laughs> excellent. Let's go get that home. Yeah. Um, I will say uh, it depends on the price range that you're in. You know, if you're doing a four hundred or four million dollar property at two hundred fifty k under, you know that actually doesn't sound too bad to me. But if you're buying a home for five hundred k and you're two hundred fifty k under that, um, setting expectations is going to be a big thing in the uh, contract process. So going off recent sales in the community, seeing what the buyer demand, seller demand is in the community is going to be a massive thing for the contract process. Um, for me, I like to have a, a realistic expectation with a lot of my buyers. Hey, you know, we can probably go five, six, 7% under a list price. I think that would be reasonable, but you do have to be careful. Even if we are right now, we're recording this in uh, fall of 23. We are in a little bit more of a seller's market. You still don't want to be burning bridges with uh, sellers, with agents, things like that. So um, having a good, fair, strong upfront offer is where I'd, I'd usually start. Interesting to hear you say seller's market. I'm uh... In my opinion. Okay. Or excuse me, excuse me, buyer's market. Buyer's say, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a buyer right now. I just made an offer. I'm making an offer right now. And uh, it is a little low. Not going to lie. Uh, maybe not 250 grand, but... Uh, uh, I think I got a pretty good chance because uh, things are sitting for a minute right now. And of course, you know, again, market changes. It depends on uh, the property uh, though, too, because there are agents out there who will are knowledgeable and will speak to their seller about pricing it at a decent price, not overpricing it, not hopeful wishing. So they may come out at like what it should be. And so lowballing with them is kind of a smack in the face because they know they've already come out at a deal, if you will. Yeah. So, 
Take that so, with a home that's already overpriced 50K in the same neighborhood, same price range, same same size, everything like that. And they're they're over 50K. Um, it's it's reveal the comps in the neighborhood. And Holly, uh, Holly hit the nail on the head there. Well, we're also dealing with the problem with the, the fact that uh, the market was the craziest it's ever been literally in history, maybe times three uh, for a good couple of years there in 2020 and 2021 uh, and parts of 22. And now it's completely different. So it's it's changed quickly. It's changed a lot um, due to especially, obviously mostly because of the interest rates, at least again, in, in my opinion, we're not here to talk about politics or anything like that. But, uh, you know, it's it's been a major shift and uh, the sellers were getting used to those numbers going up every damn month. Uh, and now they're not and they are going down in some cases. So now we've got this standstill between the buyers and the sellers where neither one of them wants to back off. And um, it's it's causing, you know, less deals to be made in general. Uh, I think real estate as a whole, again, 23, fall of 23, we're down 65 percent nationwide. And real estate transactions, you know, so um, it is a weird time in the market. Jessica, do you have any advice there on how to kind of set that expectation as to, uh, hey, guys, the party's over? So something that I think that you need to take into consideration is how well the property is also doing. If you have a seller out there and their property is still performing well, they're less likely to negotiate or accept, you know, a lower offer. So a lot of times the sellers are going to know what it's what the property's worth for them to actually sell. So I think, you know, it's a little bit different than the residential real estate market where when people want to sell their home, it's because they're moving or, you know, they got a new job and they need to leave. A lot of times, um, and I've, I've seen this actually with a couple sellers I have, they have a price point that they want and it's not worth it for them to sell unless they get that price. They're making money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My, my yeah. suggestion is always, even when it was crazy busy, and I mean, crazy slammed and prices were going to offer the number that works for you. Mm. Flat, mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't matter what the list price is. It doesn't matter what everything else is doing. The number that works for you. If you are trying to get a deal and you find out later that you lost it for $2,000 and you're like, oh, I could have gone another 5,000. Then why didn't you go the number that works for you? If you mm-hmm. swing and if you gave it your all and you miss out on it, then, you know, you gave it your all. But if you were him on back and forth. And now somebody else is making money off of the property you knew you could have, you know, just go with the numbers that work for you. Everybody's numbers are personal. So, so do yours. And if you get it awesome. And if not go on to the next one. Hemming and hawing. And I'll be honest, I just made an offer, like I said, uh, a little while ago and it was low and I'm not, it's been a while, you know, it's, I've been a little low on some offers here in recent past, but this one's, you know, it's pretty low. And uh, I'm sitting there like, and it, this is a fairly high dollar house. And, and I'm sitting there like, well, you don't have any other offers. And you've been, it's been listed for, I don't even know. I'd have to look it up. Actually, I probably should know that. Um, I, let's just say it's been listed for 45 days. And in 45 days, and we actually, the one next door is for sale too. And we walked that and I talked to the listing agent was there and I talked to him. I'm like, so wait, how long has this been listed? He's like, yeah, since March, which is like, I don't know how many months that is. Wow. Yeah. Six months. And, uh, and I was like, uh, any offers? He's like, nope, not one offer. Um, and he had no problem telling me that now they, the houses were completely different. One of them was, uh, needed a ton of work and it was actually bigger and more expensive than the one that didn't need work, uh, as much work. Uh, but it had more land and it was more expensive. The one that, the one that, uh, I, the listing agent was there, you know? So, but here, you know, here's another thing I'm dealing with my agent on this deal. 
Uh, this, again, this is a small town that uh, is not a short-term shop market yet. Um, it uh, He doesn't get it either. You know, I'm like, he's, he's, he's like, oh, we got to go in cash full price. And I'm like, no, we don't. You know what I mean? You need to know what's going on in your market at all times. And um, and he probably knows more than I do because it's a town I've never even been to. But, uh, you know, anyway, uh, learning as you go and and adopting and, and changing and adapting. Um, it, it's it's a never-ending uh, evolution here in the world of real estate sales. Let's talk earnest money. Um, what, what do I need to put down for earnest money? And how does the earnest money process uh, work? Who wants to take that one? I can take it. Yeah, I can. So typically earnest money is going to be between um, one to 3%. Um, if you want to make your offer a little bit stronger, you can offer more earnest money. So the way that that um, typically works is once we're under contract, title would reach out um, to you for the wire transfer. Um, you're obligated to do that. Well, I usually do my contracts for three days. I believe that that can change the number of days. Um, so they will reach out to you in that period for your earnest money deposit. Um, now during the inspection period, so in Florida, we have a 15 day inspection period. Um, sometimes we do shorten that inspection period just because sellers do not like knowing that, you know, a buyer can back out pick, um, for any reason during that time. So your offer would also be stronger if you do shorten that inspection period. Um, but during that time, whether it has to do with the inspection or not, you have the ability to back out and have your earnest money returned. So, um, you know, it, it is refundable as long as you back out during that initial period. Anything to add there, Wade? Yeah, yeah. So um, I say Jess hit the nail on the head there. Again, it's it's the amount of money you're putting down to show how interested you are in a property. Um, and in uh, Florida, it's at buyer discretion for your reason to wanting to back out. And you get your refund if you're inside that deadline. Uh, Holly, anything weird ever happen with earnest money? I can get it back. No problem. Right. Most cases it's, it says so in the contract, there are times where sometimes the seller refuses to sign it. And then there's a little bit more of a process that goes into it, but according to what's stated in the contract, yes. Okay, cool. Um, do I need to go in with higher earnest money, uh, to get a deal at times or. I mean, look at it from, if you were, if you were the seller and you had two offers that were identical and one's putting 20,000 earnest money, which they could get back, or 5,000 earnest money, which they could get back, which one do you feel has a stronger interest in your home? I agree there. And and hey, man, if you got the option to get it back uh, for whatever reason, uh, obviously you want to read your contract, talk to your lawyer, talk to your agent, but uh, I don't mind that. I, every now and then I do like to go a little heavier on uh, on earnest money, especially on a house that I'm, that I'm interested in. Um, furniture, how does that work? I know a lot of times these houses, of course, in most vacation towns, this is fairly similar where uh, the home will come with whatever was in it before or most of that stuff. Uh, how does that work on the, uh, as far as the contract is concerned, uh, Jessica? So um, what we'll do is we actually have a separate furniture addendum that will address um, the items that are being left in the home. Um, it's typically not written on the contract. It's actually an addendum just because of the issues that it can create with lending. Um, it doesn't actually have any value to the property. Um, so it's treated as a separate issue. If they have oh. no appraisal value or value to the bank. Right. Um, is it a typical $1 bill of sale type of thing like on the side? No, typically it's just an addendum saying that all the items will be left with the home and it adds no value. Addendum you can't do a bill of sale. It's just 
to me, a bill of sale can sometimes still mail things with a title company. Mm. So often we just keep it as a private agreement, just away from everyone. Yeah. It's between the seller and the buyer. Got it. Okay. Um, do you ever, have you, uh, does anybody have any stories that they've run into, uh, on furniture, not going the way the buyer thought it was going to? I don't might've all been very easy. Actually. It's been mm. nice. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's times when the furniture stays and you don't want it to, but it's staying. So yeah. it stays until you close on it and then you get the garbage truck over there. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then there are times, like I said, this, it's not part of the real estate transaction. So it haven't been any major issues, but sometimes like a certain mirror could be gone that, oh, I thought that was staying and the other one, oh, I thought it was going, but that's not part of the real estate transaction. So then they can usually handle it pretty easily on the side. So the great thing about here, especially if you're in an Airbnb town like Orlando, most of our owners or investors who own here are international or out of state. What are they going to do? They're going to pay their handyman or cleaner to come unload all this stuff. They they don't want it. They can't ship it yes. back home to them. So most of the times, like, I want the furniture. All right, well, leave it. If you don't want the furniture, well, okay, pay someone else to take it away. So that's kind of the, the only two options we really ever encounter. They're already no. operating. So what would they do with that furniture? Go put it in their garage? Mm-hmm. It's going to stay. Um, what about seller disclosures? What do they have to disclose? How involved are they? Is it usually like a paragraph or 10 pages or what does it look like? Uh, and what, I guess, let me back up. What are seller disclosures? So a seller disclosure, um, I believe ours here is about a four page disclosure. Um, the seller is just responsible for marking off any problems that they're aware of. Um, a lot of times what we actually see in our market is there'll be like an exemption. So um, the seller has never actually lived in the home. There may be certain things that they're unaware of. Um, so I would say 50% of the time we're working with more of an exemption sort of form than an actual seller disclosure. It just simply says the seller has never lived in the house. They have no idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm actually buying one right now that the seller disclosures, again, it's a different state, but that's crazy. I've never even seen anything like it. They hand wrote like all this stuff about the house and uh, I've never seen it before in any market. Um, and I, I, I don't know if maybe it's just a seller that actually knows his house a little yeah, better. Care. Than, it sounds like they care about it. Yeah. 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 yeah I think if have. they have had things right way to correct me if I'm wrong, but if they've had like had to have maintenance come in and repair a leaky toilet that went down into the kitchen, they have to disclose that because they know about it because they paid for it. Yeah. So anything okay. in regards to insurability, is usually required to be disclosed. So if the home's ever flooded or something like that, roof leak, um, major AC um, issues or toilet floods, that kind of stuff needs to be disclosed. But in some situations, maybe that happened five, six years ago, but it's no longer... Um, it's no longer something that the new owner might have. So it could be something that um, just isn't disclosed even to the seller who you're purchasing from. So a lot of them would say, I don't know, all the way down on these little bubble boxes inside our seller disclosure form. Um, and it is what it is, but that's why uh, home inspections are so important here. So, yeah. Can I ask a question on that? Oh, Sean, the inspector. Go ahead, buddy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Um, so I've always been confused on the disclosures, especially for short-term rentals, because most of the time there is none. But a lot of these short-term rentals, they have a property management company that is definitely service maintained and sometimes made repairs to leaks or most common thing is probably air handler leakage, stuff like that, where I know that they've had a company come service it and take care of it. By, by, but obviously, by the time disclosures come at the seller, they just act like they're unaware of it. 
because they really don't know at the end of the day, they're just paying for the property management company. But how does that fall um, in the laws of disclosures when there is record and documentation of things that it may have been repaired, even though that it probably isn't to the awareness of the actual seller? You would need to get an attorney involved. So at that point, I'm not an attorney myself. So of course, speak to someone, but uh, it is at the buyer's discretion to to find out everything they can about the home. Now, if the seller ends up misknowingly lying or something like that, that's up for an attorney to decide. Um, but it's at buyer discretion. I would personally say these seller disclosures um, it's not hard for someone to muddle the the waters and fudge the truth in some of these situations. Do your due diligence yourself. Um, and if that situation were to ever come up, speak to an attorney. Yeah, so I'll be honest. Say, Go ahead. Let's say I'm buying a property right now that I know has been under property management and something does come back on the inspection. Would I be in my right to ask for the disclosure of any record of the care and maintenance of, of that property by the property yes. management company? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yep. So, and they, um, they honestly, they don't even have to, uh, um, give it to you. They like, of course, they could say in paperwork that they need to disclose these items, but if they don't, are you going to sue the seller for not providing these things while you're still inside your inspection period? Um, it could open up a can of worms, uh, when it'd be easier to walk away. Yeah. I'll be honest. A lot of times I don't even want to know or care what the seller knows about the house because I'm, <laughs> he's not me, you know, or she's not me. I, I, I feel like I'm going to know way more about that house in 10 minutes of walking it than, than that seller's known in six you have years. A good inspector, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then also you got to have a good inspector to teach you that stuff, you know? So, um, I, I, I don't even look generally, maybe I need to be a little bit more careful with that, but, uh, just, you know, be good at your job. Uh, let's leave it there. Right. So, um, what, what contingencies do I have? Uh, what, what are typical contingencies on the, on the contract there in Orlando? Hold on. Backing up again. Wait, what's the contingency? <laughs> um, so there are a few separate contingencies that we have in our paperwork. Um, it also depends on the contract you're using. The majority of us here in Florida use the as is uh, residential contract. So the one that most people are familiar with is our inspection contingency, meaning during some timeline in your inspection, you are able to back out at buyer discretion. That is how it, it physically reads inside our paperwork. And so at buyer discretion means for the most part, anything. If the, the roof tiles are cracked or if there's a leak, or even if you don't like the doorknob shimmying, um, that's at buyer discretion. Now, speak to an attorney on anything past that. So now there's also going to be other contingencies that we have inside the home, such as our financing contingency and things like that. Um, so our financing contingency means you will have to get loan approval by a certain day in your contract period. Meaning if you have a 30-day financing contingency, you need to have loan approval by that date. And if you don't, like say someone loses a job, there's a death in the family, things like that, and the lender can no longer qualify you for that loan and you fail to um, obtain financing, that's another way you can also safeguard your earnest money and get that money back for failure to obtain financing. So that's also why it's important to have a great lender and have those um, dates and deadlines pretty much memorized during your contract process. But those are the two largest contingencies that you're going to encounter here in uh, the Orlando market. All right. Anything else to add there? Okay. Um, all right. Inspection, Sean, your turn to shine, buddy. Uh, how many days is the inspection period? Let me ask you that first, uh, Wade. 
So it can be um, the standard on our paperwork is 15. I have to say 10 days is more than enough, though. Seven to 10 days, 10 days preferred um, is more than enough time to get an inspector inside most properties here. And it is an inspection period, not a due diligence period. So it, it we call it the inspection period, but it's it's pretty much the same thing. Okay. Um, and Sean, do you have a speech for us? Uh, let's say I'm a new a new buyer and I'm a shopping around for a good home inspector. What am I looking for? And, uh, and then, you know, give, give me your speech. What do you do, uh, you know, in a typical inspection? Well, my pitch is that, you know, I have many, it, I have to think of their needs, of what they're really looking for. And, you know, I, I ask them a lot of questions. What are they expecting? What do they need inspected? But the most important th- details I need is the property details of just the year and how big it is. And it does it have a pool. Um, these are important factors that really reflect the price. Um, and, uh, there's a lot of inspectors that may not inspect pools or, or sprinkler systems or other, um, systems that sometimes are with these vacation rentals that we, you know, do primarily. And, uh, you know, it takes a lot of thoroughness to be able to relay that to a client that's usually out of state. You know, a lot of times my clients don't even come to the property and I have to give them a thorough inspection report and I have to um, let the client know and give them the confidence that I'm able to do that for them. Uh, so what does a pool inspection look like? Uh, what, does that in, uh, what does that entail? So for us, we do more of a Florida compliance uh, inspection where we're make, making sure that the pool equipment and pool areas are um, up to safety standards of Florida billing code. Um, one of them particularly being the bonding of the pool. Bonding means that the grounding electrical components for the equipment and the pool area are holding hands, so to speak. Um, so we have devices that we have to actually physically make ourselves that you can't buy <laughs> to actually be able to detect that. Um, and then we also do a leak detect, a mild leak detection as well. That's important to make sure the pool isn't leaking. Uh, we have to test the uh, other safety features with the equipment, especially if it has like a pool heater, there's a couple devices that we have to make sure that function um, in case in an event of a failure for either the heater or the pump. Um, so uh, it's a, that's a lot of components to go through. We definitely have to study the flow of how the water comes from the pump. It goes to the pool. There's uh, features, there's spas, there's hot tubs. There's just, there's just so many things going on with it. It's such a list, uh, but some of them have less, uh, devices. Some of them are very technologically advanced with apps for your phone and they're controlled on Wi-Fi. They have, you know, waterfalls and lighting and <laughs> it's a lot to go through sometimes, but um, sometimes they're just very basic with just a pump and a filter and that's it. And uh, it just depends what the property has. Is there a deal breaker on a pool? Is there something on a pool that you see that uh, as a buyer, I might say, okay, I'm not going to buy it because of this? Probably resurfacing. Resurfacing can be really expensive, especially on older pools. If they're upwards of about 20 years old, they're about ready. Um, and that can run you anywhere from 10 to 20 grand, depending on the size and, uh, and the type of pool that it is. Well, I just need to work that into the deal, right? If it's got a pool that hasn't been surfaced in 20 years, then the purchase price needs to reflect that. Um, sometimes, well, I, I mean, my clients, my clients hope so, um, but uh, sometimes that's not the case. And, you know, it, to be realistic, sometimes it's it's still functional and doesn't mean that the pool is falling apart. It's just cosmetically unsightly. But to some people, that's very important. But to some people, it's not. And obviously, the most important thing would be if the pool was cracked and had some sort of structural issue where it was leaking or something like that. That would be the most severe besides an expensive resurface. Okay. And what about the home itself? Uh, what do you look for on a roof in, in Florida, in, in Orlando? Uh, are you seeing mostly... 
uh, metal roofs, I would assume, or do you see asphalt roofs or, or what kind of roofs am I looking at? And, and what, what, what's a good healthy lo- roof look like? Well, right now, because of this state, we, we have to reflect it on insurability. Um, for example, there's a lot of houses. We have tile roofs here. Tile roofs were to said to last at least 50 years. Um, and that may be the case sometimes. I don't personally feel that they would last that long, maybe 40 years or something like that. But the insurance company won't insure them for that long. So anything that's within a good insurable standard for a shingle roof, you want it to be no more than 15 years old to have good insurability. Um, we do have metal roofs as well. They uh, usually require less maintenance and they have better insurability usually. Um, but shingles and tiles are probably the most common. And we just have to make sure that the age is appropriate and that it doesn't need any repairs or maintenance to be insurable. Insurance is a whole can of worms. I've, I've already promised an entire episode of, on insurance. We're going to get to that at some point. Probably have to be an ep- update later on down the road. But Florida insurance changes every damn day. Um, and, Happy uh, to join on that one, too. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a mess right now. But uh, okay, well, what about... Uh, Sean, what kind of a foundation am I usually looking at in, in your market? Uh, well, we don't have basements or many crawl spaces, especially on newer properties. We only have crawl spaces usually on manufactured homes or historic properties, things that are older from or before the 50s. Other than that, you're looking at just a poured concrete slab. We call it a monolithic slab. Um, and then you'll have concrete footers on the edges that are, that are poured with the concrete at the same time. And that's your entire foundation. Ever see issues with those? Uh, I mean, it's it's okay for those to be cracked a little bit, right? Like if it's a, you ever see concrete uh, floors, or is it they usually have coverings? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, well, <laughs> some people actually, it, I have, I don't see it much, but some people will actually polish and epoxy the concrete in their house, and it is said to be more sanitary um, and you know less issues with like tile or something like that. But I think tile is probably the most common uh, product that we see with carpet. And uh, but now what's when people are remodeling or renovating, renovating, and I think a lot of builders are going this way too. They're going vinyl plank, and vinyl plank is probably the best flooring product that you could probably have in your homes. That you know, if it gets wet, it can be dried out. It, it's very durable. Um, you know, it's great for if you have pets as well, and uh, it's very it's a very sanitary flooring. And uh, I think that's uh, what is the most popular installation these days. Have you ever seen any crappy vinyl flooring? Uh, Absolutely. Vinyl. Absolutely. But uh, most of the products are pretty good these days. I, like I used to see flippers that would put vinyl plank over tile and you could see the, uh, the symmetricalness of the tile. You could see the grout yeah. lines underneath it. But oh. most of the vinyl plank now is very thick. It's, you know, at least five mils thick and uh, it covers right over tile beautifully, actually. And it's a, and it's a great product for that when you need to use it for that type of solution. Okay. All right. And uh, what else do we need to know about? Uh, what am I looking for on a home inspection? What do you, what do you see comes up on every single ho- single home inspection or most of them that trips well, up a new buyer? Well, particularly uh, mold. <laughs> I find a lot of mold. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in, in HVAC systems primarily. So uh, in the air handler is a perfect condition for mold to live and grow. And um, sometimes air handlers have trouble remo- removing humidity, especially that's what we're battling here in Florida every day. And mold is common to be found in an air handler. Uh, we open them up, we look inside, and sometimes they're riddled. Sometimes they're just a little bit starting. Um, most of it's very achievable to be cleaned, but that's one of the most common things that I find. And then besides that, stucco cracks. Stucco cracks are a very uh, commonality, or you know, widely for any home, whether it's a one-story or two-story 
Um, but that's probably 98% of my reports. There's a stucco crack going in at least, and maybe a hundred percent. It's, uh, that, that's probably the most common finding. If you have a stucco home, it's going to have cracks. Uh, is that a fair statement, Sean? It's not supposed to, believe it or not. But yes, that is a fair statement, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, this can be re- fairly easily remedied. Now, the, the again, I'm I'm no expert, uh, but uh, maybe I am. The, the problem with fixing the stucco is then you got to paint the house. And if you don't paint the whole damn house, it's going to look like crap. Is that fair, fair to say? <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that happens commonly. People try to touch it up. It doesn't match. And it's just best to paint the whole wall, at least usually when you're trying to paint over the areas that need to be touched up from repair. Yeah. So the way I, hand, the way I do it anyway, is that I just prepare to make sure the exterior of the home is painted at X number of years, say maybe, I don't know, five, 10, whatever it may be. Yeah. 15, if you want to push it, I suppose. Not in this state. The paint doesn't last. <laughs> yeah, oh, so less Florida. than five years. Hurricane, yeah, sun, yeah. away. Yeah. yeah, the sun bleaches it. And, you know, primarily people use flat paint, which is the most horrible product you can use on exterior in Florida. And um, and whatever your weather side is, whichever side of your house gets the sun, that is your weather side. And that's always going to be the one that's going to deteriorate first. And about uh, five years is average for needing a repaint. Okay, great. And but the painter will uh, fix the stucco, yes, if it's not too bad. Usually, um, but some painters don't know how to fix stucco. Let's be honest. Uh, a lot of people try to use elastomeric caulking, but uh, stucco is a cementous material. For an example, on my house, I just uh, repaired about twelve stucco cracks on the side of my house, and stucco comes in a tube now, and it's very easy to apply. Um, I feel that most homeowners could do it themselves, you know, and, um, but stucco is the, uh, in a tube or a tub is the best solution to repair stucco cracks. Never use caulking or anything like that because they could come back. Okay. Wonderful. So, uh, you know, in other words, uh, ask your painter if he can do stucco and go, go with your gut, whether you trust him or not on, on their res- response. Uh, if they say no, don't hire them, you know, or you make sure you got to hire two different guys at that point, And that's kind of a pain in the rear end. Uh, Sean, what else do we need to look out for? Uh, what's what co- kind of common uh, occurrences? Uh, let me ask you this. What do new people see on an inspection that scares the crap out of them that maybe shouldn't? Mold, leaks, and water intrusions, definitely. Uh, mold is probably one of the most scariest for people. Um, and in your opinion, not that big a deal? Or depends on, you know, obviously, case by case. Probably one of the most fearful things. Yeah, people get freaked out on mold. Um, that's probably the most scariest thing that uh, clients get. Uh, worried about also because remediation is very expensive. So that's probably one of the most commonalities that I find that freak people out. And sometimes that's difficult for people to uh, rectify in a transaction for agents. I mean, it's difficult to deal with sometimes of who's going to take the responsibility to get it um, remediated and, uh, and it can be very costly. So those are tough negotiations and Wade usually does a pretty good job of that. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. <laughs> Sean, who's your favorite agent in the Orlando market? Definitely Wade. I mean, there you go. Wade was just before this, he was talking how I worked Christmas Eve for him, and I don't do that for everybody. So, <laughs> don't expect Sean or anybody to work Christmas Eve. And the reason Sean says Wade is because he hasn't had any experience yet with uh, Holly or Jessica. Uh, but uh, that's not true. I saw Jessica the other day. <laughs> oh, you did? Okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. That was. Oh, she's not your favorite now. Look here, Sean. Time working together. And it was a mold <laughs> issue, and. Um, Luckily, everything was worked out. But uh, yeah, so when you I'm do see it, when you do see a mold issue, and like um, Luke was saying, people do freak out a little bit. But it may not be freak out should be the first issue or first. No, and, and you know, there's big misconceptions of mold. Um, it, mold affects everyone differently, right? And if you're in a short 
if you're if it's for a rental, you got to be more concerned because you don't know how it's going to be affect your people that are staying at your property. Um, but I think people view mold as something that's beating on their doors and windows coming in trying to kill them. <laughs> And that's furthest from the truth. And mold can be killed. You know, it, it can be it can be taken care of. You know, it's not something that's always lingering around to be a nuisance for the rest of the home's life. You know, so yeah. I think there's just a lot of misconceptions. There's a lot of scare tactics out there that people use to really scare people of mold. And don't get me wrong, mold gets people sick and can can put you in the hospital. But usually, you have to be living in a poor condition with mold in your life for quite some time for that to happen. And I think people just don't understand that. And they what? see a little bit of blackness and they're like, oh, it's black mold. And they, you can't, you don't know if it's black mold. So you test it in a lab. So, you know, there's just a lot of misconceptions of it out there. What percentage of your inspection reports would you say have the word mold on them? Probably 80 to 85. Oh, I was expecting a yeah. hundred. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I even, like a- every, everybody has it somewhere at some point, you know, it's, it's always there. It's always around us. It's part of nature. What's one of the biggest things an owner, especially an owner who's out of state, can do to avoid things, not just around mold, but stucco cracks, pool leaks, things like that? What's something an owner can do to try and protect themselves against those items? Just just great property management. That's all. I mean, that's, I mean, all I'm finding with these inspections is ill maintenance for the most part, you know, and uh, if that's how you keep your equity up, that's how you keep your transaction tight. If you're selling it, you know, like you just keep it, keep it maintained. Well, the exterior always has to, we, you know, we, even as homeowners, we fall victim of not even checking our own stuff. You know, like even me, I'm a master inspector. I'm a moldless assessor. And, uh, I didn't even know I had stucco cracks in my own house for probably over a year until I actually went out and looked outside. We have to look at our own properties and see what's going on sometimes. And for people that, uh, you know, just like have rentals that are never there. They need to rely on someone to make sure that it's being maintained properly. Otherwise, if you don't uh, get to issues early on, they're going to just lead to bigger issues. They're going to be a lot more costly. And, um, you know, unless say like you're going to sell the property, it'll make a way bigger issue that may make the property unsellable at some point. So just great, great management and upkeep. And we all have to do that as homeowners or just properties that we own for investments. I mean, that's just that's just part of the ownership and it gets neglected sometimes. And, you know, even as tradesmen and inspectors, we neglect our own property sometimes with maintenance, but it is costly, but it's something we always have to budget for and stay on top of just being a responsible adult. John, I've only just met you, but I totally agree with that. It is all about management. If you see stupid little stuff on your house, <laughs> that stupid little stuff is going to turn into big stuff. If you don't get it fixed, I'm the air management filters. air filters. Uh, a leaky hose bib. If you don't fix that, next thing you know, your your siding's going to crap and the whole thing's going down, you know? And it, it, here's another thing I'm going to throw at you as I also going to throw in the fact that Avery doesn't know how good she's got it with a badass manager such as me. But uh, <laughs> uh, anyways, what I was going to say is um, a lot of times when you walk a house for a first time, I'm guilty of this too. I, I'm, I'm preaching to my own self right now. When I walk out for the first time, that's your perception of the house. First impressions are everything. And a lot of times, those little things you see the first time you walk the house, you're almost a little willing to let those slide in 6, 8, 10, 12 months or two years because, oh, it's not my fault. They were already there. And your brain just doesn't even, it doesn't even register because it's almost like those, those, those were somebody else's problem. But guess what? They are your problem now. So make notes of all those little things when you close the deal uh, and get them, you know, it's just little stuff, a leaky, uh, 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 under a vanity. You can swap the entire vanity for 200 bucks and have a nice vanity, you know, I mean, maybe not labor, but, you know, go to Lowe's if you need to and get a decent vanity for two, 300 bucks. 
thousand bucks if you want to go crazy. And uh, boom, you've just saved yourself seven grand in new flooring or, or subfloor or whatever else because you swapped it out. And you don't even have to do that. Just tighten up the damn leak. It's not that big a deal. Uh, but I'm just saying, you know, worst case scenario, you drop 500 bucks on a brand new, beautiful vanity with new pump, uh, new plumbing, save yourself a leak. You know, all these little things add up. Ice machines leak all the time. You know, if you don't get that ice, and then you can't even see that. That's the problem with ice machines. Yeah, it comes out from can't see it. And then the next thing you know, the sheetrock and the molding and the, and the floors are all completely messed up because yeah. you weren't paying attention. You know, I guess, I guess one of the biggest pieces of advice I could give as well is making sure that your air handlers have a, adequate float switch because uh, especially older ones they oh, fail yeah. and they cause leaks and they cause a lot of damage and that's primarily what i find too you know is just uh leaks from condensation from the condensation line and usually because the float switch failed or was faulty and didn't do its job to shut the unit off and it kept leaking and um there's better models of float switches out there they're very cheap to get installed by hvac technicians and I encourage anyone uh, that has an older system, especially to just get it checked out and make sure that it's functioning. So you don't have those silly problems later that could lead to thousands of dollars for a $35 part. If you want to be in the house business and you don't know what a float switch is, you're not doing your job. All right. So get out there, learn how a house works, all the bits and pieces uh, oh, Sean, feel free to try your video again. I didn't, we're not trying to uh, push Sean out. He's a good looking guy, but he was having video <laughs> issues. There you go. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, that's what, that's all there is to it. Learn how, if you were, if it sounds like we're speaking a different language over here as a buyer, you've got to get obsessed, learn about all this little stuff and make sure you're running your house efficiently. You know what I mean? It's, it's no different than like, uh, I'm a yoga instructor and I don't know how to do downward dog. What? You know what I mean? It's like. <laughs> Uh, so well, can I, can I say, can I, ch- well, I just want to Holly, say that you don't need permission. Go ahead. I'm like chopping at the bit. So like all these little things that we're talking about though, that like our clients and ourselves too, when we, um, own them as short-term rentals and we're managing them, these issues are brought to our attention a lot sooner than, like you said, if you live in the house and you're walking by it all the time, like, yeah, whatever. But your guests are going to let you know if your faucet's dripping, your guests are going to let you know, they'll let you know if you have a dirty air filter. You know, they'll tell you. So then your your house is being maintained and kept up a lot more if you're a great property manager of your business, I think, you know, so I agree. things won't go. It's not so hard and you don't have to learn how to do it all yourself because you're going to have a great team on the ground, your handyman or whoever that is going to go over there and they know how to do it properly, which is one of the negatives about living so close, which I know because I want to go over and do it and then I have to hire somebody to do it right. So just hire somebody, your guest tells you there's an issue, hire somebody that's a professional, they get over there, fix it. And then you don't have that big problem in the future or when you go to sell it because the guests are all over it for you. Yeah, especially if you ask them. I asked this one today. I was like, because I still, I still very, even though I got full timers, I'm very much involved. I like to be involved with the management day to day. And I had this lady, I was like, I got a vibe. I looked at my management software and there she was, you know, I'm like, I got a vibe. Uh, And I'm like, I just asked her, I said, is there anything we could have done to make this house, anything we can do to make this house better? And she just unloaded, you know? And it was all ridiculous stuff that I can't even do anything about. Like, she's like, well, we, what the biggest problem was we went there and it was in the dark and we couldn't find it. And I'm like, well, that's not my fault. I mean, I, all I can do is give you in directions and we give detailed directions on top of Google. Obviously. I have a glow and, in the dark and, sign now. You know, the, <laughs> exactly. That's pretty smart. Glow in the dark sign. Pretty smart. Yeah, I like that. That yep. is cool. 
Yep. So I like that. I'm going to get yep. one of those. But I mean, our guests are there. They'll like, we, we see, you know, I know Jessica and, um, I mean, just enough. Wait, also, when you go into a house and you can tell there's been deferred maintenance by the management company oh, yeah. you know, or, the, or the homeowner hasn't been there in quite a while, but it's big different than when you're having your cleaners take a picture of them changing the air filter each month or that type of thing. And the mm. truth is most people just don't care. They just don't care. You know, the management manager may have even said, Hey, you need to do this, this, and this. And then, and the owner probably just was busy and with their day job and their kids and, um, and, uh, and that's where we come in. We come in here and crush it and our year, our, you know, you got a nice looking house is a year after year, you got more and more equity and, and uh, life is good. Life is good. Anything else to add on inspection? We'll keep, otherwise we'll keep Sean on the back burner as, uh, as we cruise yeah, through the Sean, rest of the show. Sean, can you touch on four point and windmit? Do you do that? There you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do. Of course. Um, wind mitigations we provide with every inspection. Um, it's just always needed usually for every transaction for insurance. Uh, four points uh, differ be between the age, but yeah, something we definitely provide and they're very important. Most of every property, I think over seven years now for a lot of insurers uh, need a four point and it used to be 30 years a couple of years ago. So insurance companies are really uh, sticking it to us with that. So you and, recommend uh, every buyer get it for to lighten their well, insurance premiums? Well, um, you know, and most of those short-term rents that I experienced, especially like with weight, they're, they're newer. And uh, lot, sometimes the insurance company doesn't even require the wind mitigation uh, or the four point, um, which we prefer. But um, uh, I, again, I think it's that seven year mark where they're get, starting to get required for the four point. Can you explain uh, just uh, like I'm three years old, what is a, a wind mit oh, and a four point? Sure. So the wind mitigation is to verify uh, how the roof was installed and if it was uh, up to the newest Florida building code of 2002. Um, so traditionally, uh, we want to see the roof to wall attachment that would either be a hurricane clip or a hurricane strap. Uh, those components have a nailing requirement. They uh, have to be nailed a particular way. And then also the decking that holds the roof material has to be nailed to the framing, uh, with nails up to a certain spacing as well. So, uh, with the wind mitigation, we have to go in the attic and we have to verify, uh, the nail spacing, the nail pattern and the roof to wall attachment. Then, of course, any recent uh, roof permit it also gets documented on that form. That is the biggest savings um, for a client for their insurance is the, is the roof permit generally, um, especially if it's had a recent replacement. That'll give them additional savings and credits. Other than that, if we're on a uh, the wind mitigation is also for opening protection to document that. Uh, that's more for homes that are down south or in high velocity zones or on the coast uh, where they would have window protection such as um, impact rated glass or hurricane shutter or something like that. And then we would document it on the forum for whatever pertains to that particular home. And that gives them amazing savings and credits too. Uh, and really helps them to save on insurance. So when they do have those type of components. What about alternate structures? Are those also on the four point or wind mitt? Do you do like no. sheds, pool screens, things like that? No, no. The insurance company assumes those in the policy generally. Um, and of course, insurance underwriters and agents, they look up the property, they go through Google Earth and other softwares to see what's actually on the property, like a pool or uh, sheds or outbuildings, stuff like that. But it's up to, honestly, the client to make sure that everything on their property is insured the way that they see fit. You know, So let's say you had a secondary she shed back there that was a partial pool cabana and bar, uh, maybe cost you 40 grand and you want it insured, you better tell your insurance company that you want that insured because they may not. Um, you always got to read your policy and see what your agent actually has on your policy. And I always recommend everyone to get an additional million dollar umbrella, whether it's on your property, your home or your car, 
Uh, it's just for further incidentals that you just can't see in the future, you know, it, and it really comes to help in the play sometimes. Wonderful. Wonderful. All great stuff. Uh, we're going we're gonna to move on uh, briefly here to uh, a couple of other topics, but uh, Sean, stay with us uh, if you don't mind. Uh, guys, sure, let me no ask you about, uh, thank you, sir, about acting in good faith. Uh, I got some every now and then you get a, a client that wants to offer on six houses at once just to see which one sticks or gets the best offer. I assume that's not a good idea. Uh, Jessica, can you tell me about that? Yeah, it's definitely not something that I recommend. Um, you are signing a contract, so it is, you know, a legal document, you're putting an offer out there um, and you're putting it in their hands to accept or counter. So typically what I do, if I have a client who wants to offer on multiple properties, you know, we'll set the expiration date for the first offer for 24 hours. So that way, if we don't hear something back or the seller counters high um, or we can't come to an agreement, then legally, you know, we can go ahead and just move forward with another property. 24 hours isn't that long to wait. Um, especially in our market. So I, you know, I don't recommend, um, recommend putting a bunch of offers out there to see what happens. I think it's also hard with international owners too. Like imagine you've got someone who's in Spain or Japan or um, Brazil, something like that, just somewhere that might be in a different time zone. Sometimes they need that time to also communicate to even see if there's a deal to be done. So um, having that 24 hour uh, timeline for a reasonable response is also a, a courtesy thing for a seller as well. Wonderful. Uh, appraisals. Uh, you know, what do we look at there and talk to me a little bit about the contingency. We already covered that, but just briefly, Wade, and then also, um, what happens if it comes in low Can the buyer terminate all that kind of stuff? Yeah. So there's a few things, um, and there's also some different opinions on this as well, but the appraisal is usually ordered within the first several days of a contract and normally done around week two or week three. Uh, being under contract. So there's a 30-day period to close. It's usually done on like week two, week three. If the appraisal were to come on come in low, um, there's a couple of different opinions here. There are some who will say the buyer can back out because the appraisal came in low. The lender can't qualify the buyer to then purchase that home. But then there's another train of thought is if the lender can qualify the buyer without having... Um, the appraisal at that price point, meaning they have enough cash in the bank to cover that appraisal difference, the lender can still qualify them. So um, the appraisal is not the end-all be-all for your contract in every situation. Your financing contingency can be the end-all be-all. Um, but just make sure uh, you are offering from the start, you're going off comparable sales um, in the community, trying to be as uh, careful you can with that appraisal. Um, and I will usually see sellers will come down, especially in our current market. If the appraisal does come in low, sellers will usually come down because they're going to have that same issue with the next buyer that comes across their table during what is already a buyer's market. Um, so be careful with what you're offering, but usually here I will see sellers come down if that's the situation. Got it. Cool. Um, when you get to the financing contingency, um, that's the end of the line there, right? I just want to point that out. Uh, if you've uh, gone through all contingencies, which financing is, is, is generally financing the last one. Yeah. 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 That's the last, your last out basically. And then at that point, uh, you will need some sort of legal document from your lender that says we are not able to give this person a loan in order to get out of the contract. In other words, uh, when I get to the end and, I, and maybe I'm a buyer that's scared and I'm getting cold feet, uh, what, what is the point of no return? 
the point of no return is the inspection period. If you get cold feet and the uh, time comes where I no longer want to buy this home, it needs to be inside the inspection period purely because there's got to be something wrong with the property in order for you to back out for you to back out. But if you're past that point and it's just general cold feet, the lender is still able to qualify you and you spent all that time, the seller's going to have the expectation that you're closing on that home, um, especially after all the research and all the time that's been done um, on their part and on our part. Uh, the point of no return is usually treated as the inspection period. Got it. So um, can I get out on on a, a financing contingency? You not can. without a document. Yeah, I mean, not without a document. Like, yeah. Not without, yeah. I mean, if interest rates like skyrocketed like they were for a while there and then people were no longer qualifying, you know, if something. Yeah, so that's something that can, but usually you lock your rate in. So if you, if you lock your rate in, you should be good on that point. Um, usually the only way you can get out and in, in financing and again, speak to an attorney um, is going to be if the lender can no longer qualify you to some capacity due to circumstances outside of your control. Meaning if, if you went and bought a car during your financing and you can no longer qualify because you chose to buy a car, um, that's something that is inside your control. Please speak to your lender. Make sure they're aware of anything if you're planning to make any other big purchases during your um, during your acquisition of that property. Because then you may not be able to buy the house and you may lose your earnest money deposit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Final walkthrough. What does that look like, uh, Jessica? And uh, should I come to town for that? Yes, um, you definitely should come to town to do your own walkthrough. If you're not going to come here, um, it's highly suggested that you hire an inspector to go back to look at the items. Um, it's not really something that you want your agent doing on your behalf. So definitely take care of it yourself or hire someone specifically to go check the items You know that you that needed to be checked final, whether it, you know, happened during the inspection period and changes or things were supposed to be repaired. Um, you need to hire someone to go look at that stuff if you're not going to do it yourself. Any more thoughts there, Wade? Well, something I'll do, um, if someone's not able to make it into town, I'll do a video, even a video with them on there, but I make sure it's known, um, we're we're doing a walkthrough of the home to make sure there's not like holes in the wall or there's like an active link that kind of stuff things that I, we're able to see on video um but beyond that if we ask for repair items and things like that your final walkthrough you should have someone there to identify these items were taken care of these items we have receipts of them being taken care of and we have someone to confirm that they were done correctly sean do you do um final walkthrough inspections and how much do you charge for that if you do so uh, yeah, we, we do we, we do sometimes uh, walkthroughs with clients when they request it. Normally, we're doing uh, a reinspection for something that we found an inspection prior to that. Um, but we normally aren't there for the walkthrough when the client does it. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, I think that might be it. What else did we miss? This has been a huge conversation. We've been here a long time now. Uh, a lot of stuff covered today. Uh, if anybody has any final thoughts, feel free to throw them out there. Otherwise, we'll say goodbye um, and uh, move on to the next episode of short-term show, special episodes, Orlando, how to buy a house in Orlando. Um, if there's nothing else, then I will uh, thank everybody for their time. Sean, you're awesome. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. I appreciate thank it. You. And uh, on behalf of the short-term shop, don't overthink it. <laughs>